0: Into the way of peace. Those are verses 68 through 79 of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. You're listening to the Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are um, just about to get to Christmas, aren't we? We're about to get to the Incarnation. So, Advent's almost over, and so what I thought we would do in the last couple of days of preparation is to talk about what were the messianic expectations of the people at that time and who would qualify to participate in the life of the world to come. And so that prayer that, that I just read, it's actually a prophecy of Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. Remember, he's in the temple. He was, he was chosen by lot. His team was up for service at the temple at that time, and, and he got chosen to be the one who went in and worked with the altar of incense, and there appeared to him um, an angel who told him that don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son, and you'll call his name John, and you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Well, some of that language... This spirit and power of Elijah turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's all from Malachi, which is the last prophetic book in the Old Testament. And so John is going to be the fulfillment of that. The the promise is that Elijah will come first and be the forerunner for the Messiah, and he will prepare the way. And you see that in, in Isaiah. You see it in Ezekiel. You see it in all those prophets who told what would come in the future, But Malachi specifically said those things. And so John is going to be the fulfillment of that, and Zechariah had to have known that. And and, and as wonderful as it is to be in the holy place and and have an angel appear to you and make this incredible promise to you that that says Messiah is coming soon, and the proof of it is your son is going to be the one who is the forerunner of a Messiah, the one who is promised in Malachi. Zechariah didn't believe. Uh, uh, How can that be? We're old. This can't possibly happen. So the angel shakes his head and says, are you serious? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to you specifically to give you this message. You're doubting an angel's promise to you in the holy place? Seriously? So he's struck dumb, and he's not able to say anything until it's time to name the child. And he says, his name is John because that's the name the angel said that he would be called. He would be called John. That's a great name. <laughs> so the, he's John the Baptist. And so what what are the expectations for the Messiah that we see right there in the prophecy of Zechariah? He's excited because he, now his tongue's been loosened. So my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant, From now, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. That's actually Mary. Blessed be the God of Israel. He's visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of the prophets from of old, we will be saved from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our forefathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And so what he's saying is, is, is that you're going to be saved from your enemies and you're going to be saved in the forgiveness of your sins so that you can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so it's going to be the, the renewal of the covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant, and the bringing back and the ingathering of the Jews. Because we see in various prophecies, like even Hosea, who says they'll come from the east and west, the north and the south, from all the points on the globe, they will return to the land of Israel. And then everything, it'll be the center of the universe. And everyone will recognize this. They'll be delivered from their enemies. They'll have peace There'll be tranquility. Everyone will sit under his vine and his fig tree. He sees that, that beatific vision where there's peace all throughout the world. So that's, that's one messianic expectation is, is that the promise that comes from things like Isaiah, where the little child will play over the, the uh, den of the adder. The lion and the lamb will lie down together. All those things of a peaceable kingdom throughout all the earth, and the center of all that, and the center of all worship will be right there in Jerusalem, and God will be there among his people, because they'll be righteous, and they'll be holy, and God will be able to be among them, and who is it that will participate in the life of the world to come? Well, we know a couple of things, and one of those things we know is that we've already seen this, that that the, the sages taught that all Israel would participate in the life of the world to come, with the exception of the Sadducees, and they wouldn't participate because they didn't believe in it. So if you don't believe in it, then you don't deserve a share in that inheritance. And then they will say that, that there's another group of people, those righteous Gentiles, those who didn't convert to Judaism, but who nonetheless kept the, the laws that had been revealed through Noah. And so those people will participate as well. They won't have the lofty positions. <laughs> they won't sit at the right and left hand of God. But don't worry about it. You're going to participate you're going you're to have a part and a share in the life of the world to come if you keep those things that, are, that were made known through Noah. So just settle down. There's no reason for you to convert to Judaism because, well, you're going to get a share in the life of the world to come anyway. So, so just settle down, settle in, take it easy. So we know from Zechariah, we see that he is expressing the fulfillment of all those prophetic words from the past that there would be peace on earth. And what is it that the angels proclaim at the birth of Jesus? Peace on earth. Peace on earth. And so that, that is one of the great messianic expectations, is that enmity between people will end. And Zechariah sees that first in deliverance from the enemies of Israel. Well, that'd be people like us, Gentiles. And so, the, but we see that. In Paul's ministry, don't we? We saw see in the end gathering of the Gentiles, we see peace established among those people, both Jew and Gentile alike, who come to believe in the one Zechariah's son, John, will proclaim. John could have been a priest, but he chose not to. We have to assume John was educated. We have to assume he was probably educated in ways Jesus was not educated because the sons of priests would be educated period, end of sentence. But then John chose a different life as he went along, and he he saw God's call to him to be separate and to be able to speak into the situation as it was, to be, be able to speak boldly into the situation, to be able to speak against the leaders when they had gone astray and they were leading the people astray. And so John could look at the scribes and the Pharisees and call them a brood of vipers, he had a boldness that came from that separation, not being embedded in any of these traditions, even though by birth he certainly would have been. So we see right there in, in Zechariah's prophecy part of the messianic expectation. There's other things that are the parts of it that are a little bit veiled, so we can't see them as clearly, and I'm going to talk about some of those things tomorrow. And so what what is the first thing we as Christians see as a messianic expectation when when Jesus returns well it's it's peace on earth but it's going to be accomplished through a lot of bloodshed it's going to be accomplished through God's judgment on our enemies and the destruction of those enemies and so we see and look for exactly that same thing we are looking for the peaceable kingdom of God where there is no longer enmity between men and And even men and men, but also, I believe, men and animals' kingdom, all that will be restored. There will be no place for fear in the kingdom. And that is exactly what Zechariah is expressing there. And so we know something also of those messianic expectations from Mary's prayer, which I mistakenly started to read as, as Zechariah's. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of His servant. From behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And as Protestants, we can make a hideous mistake, and that is to diminish Mary in some way. We don't have to make her co-redemptrix. We don't have to make her sinless. We don't have to say that she was um, immaculately conceived herself. In order to make much of Mary, we should call Mary blessed because God chose her out of all women on earth from all time, from the beginning of time to the end of time. Mary is a unique person. God chose her. That's what makes Mary incredibly special. We can look at the choice of Mary to be the vessel through which Messiah comes into the world in much the same way we can see Abraham. God's choice is inscrutable. We don't understand there's nothing that says, here's why God chose Abraham. There's nothing that says, here's why God chose Mary. But but we see Mary accepting the role that she's to bring, no matter what uh, people might think of her, and she gets it wrong in the short term. All generations shall call me blessed. Well, not her current generation. There were scurrilous rumors about Mary in the present time. And so Mary says this. He, why will generations call her blessed? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has st- exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away he has helped his servant israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to abraham and to his offspring forever so mary saw in addition to what zechariah saw mary saw a reversal she saw a great reversal the the poor the humble those would actually be exalted and the others would be brought low she saw a reversal of the social order. She saw uh, what would happen would be that, that God would finally bring justice, that those who had suffered would be raised up. And sure enough, what does Jesus do? He fulfills some of those messianic expectations in, in fulfillment of Isaiah 62 when he, when he heals the blind, restores hearing to the deaf, sets the prisoners free and does all the healing miracles. He's authenticating himself to be the Messiah, because the Messiah isn't just an earthly king, but he is an earthly king. He's not just that. He is also the one who will bring the kingdom today. And and bringing the kingdom into the world today includes healing people and restoring them to the fellowship of the church, uh, of of the people. So all these healings and everything are, are precursors and pointers so that he could be recognized as Messiah. Who is this that does these wonders and then also teaches and also drives out demons? He's showing his power over the spiritual world, his preeminence and his supremacy over that. And those are all important aspects of what Messiah will do. Because in order to bring peace on earth, he has to bring peace in the heavens. He has to bring peace among the warring factions of angels and other spiritual beings. He has to overcome those things that are repressing his people. He has to defeat those powers in order that his people can truly live at peace and truly be free. It's not just other human beings that are the problem here no there's other spiritual beings that cause problems as well these demons that he has to deal with in various times and various places and 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 free his people truly from oppression not just the oppression of other nations not just the oppression of rome but no the oppression of spiritual beings as well and so Jesus is doing all those things, but we don't see the reversal of all things in this world. It's the same basic prayer. Mary's prayer is very similar to the prayer of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, when he is born also miraculously. She sees reversal happening at that time. And, and, I, and I don't believe it'll be so much reversal as it will be flattening. I, I don't see uh, that, that just because somebody's wealthy, they, they need to be taken down a peg or two. Because I know people who, who handle their wealth quite well, thank you, <laughs> who give extravagantly for the kingdom and extravagantly to the church. And so I, I've known many people like that in my life, and I'm thankful for those people, and I'm thankful for the witness that they give into the world. But we see in, in these two prayers, right in Luke 1, we see the messianic expectations uh, of of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, we see those very same things. Then when the angels come, what, what do they say? Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so we know exactly what's supposed to be coming. And then we see another time where there's a messianic expectation that's given. We see when Jesus has come, for when the purification of Mary after childbirth has come, and Jesus is to be dedicated and presented to the Lord, and they come and they offer a sacrifice. According to what's said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtledoes or two young pigeons, which is a poor person's sacrifice, it tells you something about the family into which Jesus was born. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. So this old man had been promised that he would see the birth of Messiah. And you can just imagine this old man hanging out outside the temple every single day. And when parents came to bring to dedicate their children, he would take that child. He'd look at it. it it's sort of like Morpheus in in the Matrix, right? Looking and saying, is this the one? And when he sees Jesus, he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. So Simeon sees something else. He sees not just this this thing for the Jews, but he's talking about salvation in the same way that Zechariah talked about salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. We see that in in Isaiah when when Messiah looks as though he has failed. And the Lord says to him, no, 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 it's too small a thing for you just to bring in Israel. Uh -uh. No, no, no. From coastland to coastland, they're coming in. That's what's in view here when he says this. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So, So Simeon sees both. And then after he does, they marvel, the the holy couple does, Joseph and Mary. And Simeon blessed them too and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, which is exactly what Mary's prayer was, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So there's this twist Yes, this is glorious prophecy, but there's something else in there that nobody's looking for from Messiah. Opposition to Messiah. A sword will pierce Mary's own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts might be revealed, so the truth might be shown out. And all this stuff revealed. We know who you are. We have your number now. We saw how much you despised Messiah. Mary never saw that coming. But then she gets this odd prophecy that she gets this this man, Simeon, who who marvels and delights and blesses the Lord because of her child. And then he gives her this prophecy that seems that there's pain and a sword will pierce your own soul. It, It doesn't sound like the messianic hope and expectation that everybody has. Nobody sees the suffering servant. Jews will still deny to this day that that's speaking of Messiah. That's stuff in Isaiah, like 51 to 55. But that's where he also says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. What I do will accomplish the purpose for which I send it. And so Jesus did in being a light of revelation to the Gentiles. So right after that, right after Simeon says this, then there's a prophetess there named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So she lived with her husband seven years after they got married, and then a widow since then, and she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And, and that's what everybody wanted. And so when Jesus says, you tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days, and he speaks against the temple, that makes it sound like he can't possibly be the Messiah. Because they're waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, and the temple is the important part of the city. So messianic expectations were there, but some of them were based on misunderstanding. Simeon seems to have seen something clearly although I'm sure it was veiled Paul didn't see it and Paul was a well-trained man the rabbis didn't see it all of this waited for the day of Pentecost and on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit comes and people begin to see wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute we had a lot wrong but tomorrow what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about those other messianic expectations not just the reversal of the curse from Genesis 3 and the fall of man and sin entering the world No, there's more to it than that. We're going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow, and then that'll prepare us for the incarnation of Christ because we'll be able to see clearly that he fulfilled the true messianic expectations, and then we can begin to prepare our hearts for his coming again, and we can say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.